electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. Oh, yes, we are. Carl, thank you very much. Welcome to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner. Front and center this hour, the rally's red flags with stocks still not far from recent record highs. Are the risks to your money mounting or overblown? Our investment committee has that answer. Joining me for the hour today, Liz Young, Josh Brown, Steve Weiss, John Najarian, the co-founder of MarketRebellion.com stocks. They're searching for some direction today. We do have the S&P and the NASDAQ positive at this moment. Russell and the Dow are negative, though the Dow could go positive uh, once again in just a few moments, it looks. So let's kick this around, Liz Young, because we've got a lot of negative stuff out there today. I've got Citi out there saying our panic euphoria model remains elevated. It's warning of coming losses. We know that Jonathan Krinsky was with us the other day saying don't buy the dip. Jan Hatzius at Goldman says, yep, I've taken down my GDP forecast uh, Okay, we get it. We, we know the reasons why. B of A moving up their taper timeline. Where are we? Are we sort of building too many red flags or, or, or what's the story? I think there are red flags. And look, I was on the show exactly one month ago today, and I couldn't quite get on that that bull parade for tech, and I couldn't quite get on the bull parade for everything because this Delta variant, what I said then was that we don't have a new solution coming, so we have to let it play out. And here we are letting it play out. At that point, I said I think a 5% correction would be meaningful. Uh, I'm sorry, wouldn't be meaningful, and it would be something that was more likely. Now I'm getting a little bit more pessimistic. Maybe it's closer to a 10% correction. And there's a couple things weighing on that. Number one, we continue to talk about August as a seasonally light period. That's true. But you have to remember September and October are seasonally volatile periods. So we're going from a seasonally light period into a seasonally volatile period not to mention continue to have concerns over immunity waning off. We're going to have uh, information from the Fed. We're going to have a new dot plot in September. I think that could maybe spook markets that a rate hike is coming. And we've got a debate over infrastructure and the budget coming. So I think the next probably 45 days are going to be tough. But as an investor, you're not trying to avoid corrections. You're trying to avoid bear markets. I don't think we're headed for a big bear market. All right. So Steve Weiss, of the red flags that we think we have, right? People talk about the ARC funds mm-hmm. and the pullback that we've seen over the last week. Innovation's down 5%, FinTech's down 4 NextGen Internet's down 4.5%, Genomic Revolution is down 5 So that's one of the red flags that people point to. Kathy Wood, who was just on, on TechCheck, I, I hope everybody saw the interview, said, not so fast. Here's where she thinks we are. Let's listen. We'll kick it around on the other side. When uh, I see such negative sentiment out there, especially when it uh, comes to valuation and longer uh, time horizons, investment time horizons, 
Uh, I actually feel a, a, a little more comfortable. I like bad news and maybe uh, news that's uh, uh, not new, the discounting is is worse now than the news actually will be. I actually feel better in that kind of environment for for our strategies. Uh, I don't think we're in a bubble. Steve Weiss, you see a lot of IPOs and SPACs falling to earth. She said we couldn't be further from a bubble. She didn't seem too concerned about where the market is. So are we, as we asked at the very top, are we overblowing these risks? Well, Kathy's great. I've got a lot of respect for her. She just says something that, you know, different than what I do. Uh, I don't think we're in a bubble. I really don't think that's the issue. I think that there are red flags there. I think Liz is right about the seasonality of it. But what we're not talking about at all is we're not talking about the partial closure of the third largest port in China. I was on the phone today with some companies, in particular GXO, which has just a phenomenal insight because they're vast logistics network into what's going on. And, you know, I was corrected on one, po- one point, which is that I thought there was an easing of the supply channel. And there hasn't been. If anything, this has exacerbated the slowdown in it. And you're seeing it in Malaysia. If you talk to other companies, you're seeing it in Vietnam. And the market's not appropriately focused on that. So when you look at commodity prices, which have come down, they've rolled over virtually every single one, you tend to think, well, inflation's under control. But it's not really. That's driven by speculators. And you could tie that to the slowdown in China. But China will be back. They'll stimulate. So you'll get commodity prices coming back up, which is why I really haven't sold any. But but answer my question, though. Answer my question. Are the risks mounting or are they overblown? Right. That's what I want to know. The risks are mounting. They're mounting. The risks are mounting. Look, look, you know, we have J&J was the was the least popular vaccine. But for those that had the dose of J&J, they weren't even mentioned in a booster. So you've got to get re-inoculated with either Pfizer or Moderna. So you have that segment of Delta. We're seeing a big fall off in the in the uh, efficacy of the Pfizer vaccine down to 55 percent, according to the data that's coming out of Israel, which is ahead of us in the vaccine program. Moderna, it's come down to about 75 percent with Delta. So the question is that everybody should be asking, what's the appetite for getting that booster shot? What's the appetite for people that haven't been vaccinated to get vaccinated now that they'll know they'll need a booster shot at some point in time? So I think you have these concerns. Having said that, though, I think that creates, I believe that creates the opportunity for tech, reasonably valued tech, which is what we're seeing now. So that's where I'd be putting some money in supply chain worries okay. aside. So, so, look, I continue to be bearish on the market near term, not looking for a major decline, not major sell off. But I think you got to be very measured to where you put money. And the time for the easy money, to your point in SPACs, is gone. You're going to lose dough if you're in low quality names. You can't get, Josh, a big pullback, though, in the market. And we touched on this a little bit yesterday on Closing Bell. As long as big tech, let's say Microsoft, you throw up that chart, which some are talking about today, throw up Apple's chart. If those stocks, as big as they are, and they're such a big part of the market, continue to go up or at least hang in there, look at that, up 1.5% again today. You're not getting a bigger correction unless you get a rollover in, in a Microsoft or an Apple or some of these other big names. Am I right, or is that just out there? No, I, I think that's true, but that doesn't mean you can't get one no, of in course. those names. But until um, you do... Right, so... The, the most important signs in the mm-hmm. market may be the fact that those stocks continue to go up, not the other things that are going down. 
Well, that's the point, because the SPACs aren't in any indexes. And by the way, by definition, they can't be in a bubble if they're selling for cash value, meaning you get a SPAC trading at $9.50 that has $10 in cash in escrow. It's not a bubble. It's not going to go to $2. Like, like your risk there is maybe opportunity cost or if there's some kind of a horrific scandal. But like, that's not a bubble. A bubble is February when the average SPAC was selling at a 30% premium because people were excited about whoever the, the chairman was or whoever's, what, whatever celebrity's name was attached to it. That was the bubble. So right now, it's not a bubble. And even if it was, it doesn't matter. There were 600 SPACs come public in the last year, year and a half. Um, but again, they're not important. The largest one was Pershing Square, uh, and, it, and it raised a couple of billion bucks. So that's a sideshow. I don't think it's particularly important. I think the bubble there was in activity more so than in price. And some of that price uh, ebulence has already gone away. That index is in a 37% drawdown uh, from those February highs. So you don't have to worry about that. The big picture is, I don't know that sell-offs normally end in two days. So maybe this seems too easy today. These washouts are happening faster and faster. At the lowest point this morning, the S&P 500 was off 2.5%, and the NDX, the NASDAQ, was down 2.7%. And now they're green on the day. It is hilarious. NVIDIA was down 1% on the open. Now it's up almost 7%. Netflix is ripping. So, like, we are having these washouts take place in minutes and hours versus days and weeks. It's fun. I don't know how much longer that can last. That's the environment. And the really big shakeouts are not in tech. The really big shakeouts are testing your bullishness on the economic recovery, Mm -hmm. to Steve's point. That's where, look at the XLE. It's already off 20% from the highs. Now, it's still up 20% year to date. But when it was leading the market in the first six months of the year, a lot of people were like, energy, energy, energy. You don't really hear that much. That's where the big post-earnings declines have been. The airlines are unraveling, look like absolute garbage. Cruises and casinos, too. Look at when stock fell like 40% from its high. It feels like that happened in minutes. Um, so that's where people are really being tested, their bullishness about the economic recovery. Large-cap tech is acting almost treasury bond-like, at least for now. Yeah, right. They've been, and until that changes, yeah. it's hard to get worked up. It's been a defensive part of the market, right? And we, we've talked about... So because of safety. how much cash. That's yeah. right. That's right. Yeah. So, so, Dr. J, I still feel like we're in a we're going to get past Delta market. Um, if not, we'd be down, I think, uh, more so than we have been. And our ability to work our way back from steep declines like we had a couple of days ago and we're able to do thus far today. Now, there's many hours left in the trading day and we'll we'll have to see what's up. Um, some point to small cap weakness, right? If you, if you make a list of sort of the mounting worries, it's like, okay, you got small caps are off 10% from their highs. The consumer seems to be weak-er or weakening. You know, people are maybe hunkering down. They're not going to go out to eat as much. They're not going to travel as much. Southwest Airlines told us some of that. Um, you got the taper out there, though. Kashkari's out there on the tape a little while ago said Delta matters everything to him when it comes to the to the taper. Scott Minard of Guggenheim thinks perhaps the taper gets pushed because of Delta. You know, I don't know. What do you think? What do you think all that means? I'm with Scott uh, over at Guggenheim. I do think the Delta does push uh, the taper rather than pull it forward, Scott. I think it pushes it out. Um, And it's Delta. 
And quite frankly, uh, sentiment in general, that Michigan sentiment, of course, was terrible sentiment from people watching television um, about events transpiring over in Afghanistan. Horrific. Um, but uh, as those images fade from television and are not covered as much in the coming weeks, Scott, and as you say, as Delta, if expected, uh, curve uh, basically tracing the uh, UK curve for Delta plays out, as most of us expect that it will, um, then I think we're looking at the market going right back to work. Now, when I say going right back to work, uh, to Josh's point, the airlines, yeah, airlines, casinos, cruise lines, they look like crap. Uh, uh, demand for crude oil. Uh, the crude oil was down, I think, 2.5% before we came on air. Um, so these are all signs that, as you say, consumers are not really all that comfortable. I don't think that they're not still flush. I think they are. Um, but I think the consumers are pulling back as far as they're, they're saying, well, I'm going to do a staycation. I'm not going to fly because I don't really want to mess with all these different things at the airports. I'm certainly not going overseas. And uh, I think a lot of that plays into the demand on that fossil fuel right now, which, like I say, has been trending lower. Uh, so I think overall, uh, Pete and I always focus on those three V's, velocity, volatility, and volume. Volume picked up substantially yesterday, as did velocity and volatility. Mm -hmm. All three of them hit in that final hour of trading yesterday, Scott. That's why we saw that 21% jump in the VIX. This morning in the pre-market, um, the VIX hit 2474, which would be a 62% move from last Friday to this morning in the pre-market. Now, we're down substantially from that. The market has worked its way back to positive territory. I think that's more like what we can expect, these sharp, jarring moves. And then, like I say, if Delta plays out the way we believe it will, then I think we just kind of uh, muddle our way through these next two weeks until we get to September 6th, when those um, added employment benefits roll off, unemployment benefits roll off, and we get back to uh, a little more better supply-demand picture for labor. Josh, does it matter at all about Amazon's recent performance? Down almost 10% in a month. Uh, it's down 3.5% month to date. Hasn't had a good run. Does it matter? I mean, obviously, it's tied to what was happening with the, the reopen. Uh, does it matter or not? Because I, I do hear people reference, oh, but Amazon, Amazon doesn't look good. Well, if this if this Delta thing is really going to be a, a, a much bigger thing, which is obviously debatable, uh, Amazon's going to get a Amazon's going to get a boost uh, as a result of people retrenching a little bit from the outside world. We know this for a fact um, because that's exactly how things played out during the first and second wave uh, of COVID. But I, I wouldn't place a bet based on that. I think Amazon had broken out in July. It was a, a clear and present uh, danger for more upside. And then they put out an earnings report with guidance that people didn't like, and it got smacked right back into the middle of the range. But it is still in the same range it's been in since July of, uh, June of 2020. So it's not a breakdown. It's not a stock in a downtrend. It's really just back into that consolidation mode. And as such, Scott, I don't think it's really meaningful in terms of markets forward progress. I think what really has to happen is on a sector by sector basis, uh, stocks have to get accustomed to this idea of us fighting through the, the, uh, the, the Delta variant and possibly this third round of, uh, of, of vaccinations. And that's going to take a little bit of time. I don't think it's going to be easy. So 
um, maybe this is a good time for investors to calm their own expectations down rather than trying to do something overly acrobatic within their portfolios, given how little we know about which direction things are going to go with the, the virus itself. You want to take a stab before I I'm going to give it to Weiss on on NVIDIA as well. But I do want to hear from you. You do own it. I'm looking at stock as we speak. It's up better than six percent. Two oh two. Fifty two week highs. Two oh eight. It had a huge run into the into the print. What now and what does this say about sort of the chip stocks in general, if anything? Listen, NVIDIA is holding up, but if you want to be a long-term investor in a stock like this, any large-cap semiconductor company, you are going to have to live and die um, by, by the volatility that's inherent. Now, recently, NVIDIA has been acting more like Apple and Microsoft. I, I hate to call this a safe haven because it's not really going to be one if the market gets ugly, but it has been acting that way. I think it's fair to say volatility has been fairly low given the high valuation for this name. We tend to think of NVIDIA as a momentum play, but in the reality, if you're a growth investor or a technology investor, it's a must-own stock. It's a platform that literally you, you can't not be invested in if you call yourself a, a growth investor. And I think that's probably what's helping to hold it up. Um, but I would just tell people to be careful. If you're buying it at 202, expecting this volatility to stay where it is, things might not be as, as pleasant as you would hope. So Weiss, you sold it last week around 200. How do you see it now? Right. Do you look to buy it back on opportunity? Do you, you know, do you feel bad about the fact that you got out of it? You know, I don't know. I, I feel bad about the fact that I sold it at about 78 a few years ago and thought I was a genius because I had a double then. So I've had so many opportunities to get in. I failed at doing each one. Look, it, to me, this is part cult stock and, and larger part performance stock. They perform, they've executed. If any other company came out with the expectations that NVIDIA had going into the quarter where we saw multiple analysts raise their price targets with such a modest beat, the stock would have been down 10%. We've seen that play out across the tech complex. However, you've got this CEO who has, you know, who's executed, who knows how to communicate shareholders and the street and reverse the decline off the earnings. So he deserves that premium, not criticizing him because of what he's done. So, yeah, I mean, if it fell back, I'd get into it. My exposure continues to be elsewhere in much more direct 5G plays than in NVIDIA. And mm -hmm. I just don't want to increase my exposure that much more. Punching up uh, Cisco as we speak, too. That stock, uh, new high today, uh, 56.71. The high of the day was 57.14. So you're looking at a near 3% gain for uh, shares of Cisco. Uh, speaking of which, Farmer Jim, Mr. All In is on the phone right now. Cisco is his. <laughs> I'm going to talk to you about Mr. All In in just a minute, but give me the read on Cisco here. You, uh, you've been a believer sure. here, and you're getting paid well today. Yeah, well, you know, I've been a long-term believer, and sometimes when you invest, Scott, you know, you're, you're not investing for a short term. You're, I've invested in this stock I'm looking now uh, going back 10 years, and during that 10 years, it's actually had a better annualized performance than the S&P 500, and that's what you want. I don't have to sell this thing, give my clients capital gains. Um, they get a nice dividend yield. They don't worry too much about the volatility. It is the quintessential steady eddy stock. What's moving the stock higher today is that management feels comfortable enough with business prospects that they're giving 
guidance for fiscal year 22, which is as far ahead as they've ever given guidance, and it's ahead of the street estimates. So they feel good about the visibility into their business. It's ahead of guidance. This is one that you hold on to for years and years. You don't worry if it goes through a bad spell. You know it's a long-term steady eddy. Hey, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let you bounce in a few minutes, but um, I'm looking at Cleveland Cliffs, which I know you are too. So we lift you up and then we smack you down. Uh, CLF. <laughs> well, down 8%. Yeah, so now, we are glad you're bring- Scott. Hold, hold on, Weiss. Hold on. Can I, can I don't I have time for it. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. Uh, what are we doing with this, yeah. Farmer Jim? Because I think when Kramer was on yesterday, I was singing your praises, and as was he, about Cleveland Cliffs. This stock's getting smoked today. Yeah, you've got to hang on to this stock, okay? The reason it's getting smoked today is because iron ore prices have declined meaningfully today because China is curtailing uh, their steel production. But here's what's missed, and people, people don't understand this stock quite often. The biggest consumer of Cleveland Cliffs iron ore is their own integrated steel manufacturing. Right now, hot, roll, hot rolled coil prices, this is finished steel prices, are very near an all-time high. The reduction in iron ore prices helps their cost of goods sold. Um, This is not something, even if that were not the case, I don't get thrown from a long-term cash generation machine like this one just because there's a bad day on iron ore prices. Tomorrow they may be back up. But perversely, today's news is actually positive for the stock. So if you don't own it, I mean, this is your entry point. I I can't give you a better entry point than this. Okay. Uh, Weiss, you you do own it, right? You, You bought it because of Farmer Jim? Yeah, I mean, I, no, I, no, no. You bought it because of Farmer Jim. Don't, don't, don't even try. Jim. Don't even try it with me. Don't even try well, it with I, me. As you recall, well, two things. I'd say that I did shave it about a week ago, um, and I took some heat for that from Farmer Jim. And the second thing I'd say is, Scott, stay in your lane. When we're on the show together, it's up to me to abuse Farmer Jim, not you. So, you know, let's learn that going forward. Okay, noted. Mm-hmm. Noted. <laughs> yeah, like, noted. But, but what about the stock here, Weiss? What, what are you What are you thinking about it today? So look, I, I think this is temporary. Look, the the commodity market is driven by speculators, not only and de- de- and demand. And what you're seeing is the speculators that got in selling it based on China news that cut back steel production. Steel is still a global commodity, so it will somewhat impact global prices, despite the tariffs that we see on it. So it could be this way for a little bit, but to me, it is a buying opportunity. Valet is the biggest buying opportunity because that's massively underperformed Cleveland Cliffs, and it gives you an embedded return between buyback and yield of the mid-teens. So I like it, but we're also seeing a mass exodus from portfolio managers that's not unrelated to tech. They're selling commodities because they got into the momentum. Momentum's died, and now they're going and buying. What are they buying? They're buying big-cap tech that they know because they want to deploy that cash well and quickly, and they can't keep cash. Mm-hmm. Jim's highest cash is 10%. That's true of most mutual funds also. Okay. So oh, I'd say that's the rotation here. I put money to work there. Okay. So yeah, stock's getting off the mat. Uh, it likes what you guys are saying. Jimmy, before I let you go, um, you know, how we started the show, sentiment has gotten yeah. pretty dour uh, lately. Uh, right around the time that you went, when you became Mr. All In, the market became <laughs> kind of upset. <laughs> You said you're yeah. getting nervous. So I'm, I'm still. Yeah, well, it's appropriate to get nervous. I heard the opening comments. Let's simplify this. I think this is about the Delta variant. It's having an effect on that China port that Steve brought up. It's having an effect on Malaysian chip production. 
But the thing is, is that this Delta variant is manageable with the vaccines. I know we got to get more vaccines distributed and we got to get more uptake, but it is manageable with the vaccines. This should not send us or the globe back into a shutdown, which frankly, a lot of these reopening stocks, like somebody brought up Wynn, Wynn is back where it was in April of 2020 when the casinos were shut down. That's not where we're going, not right. with vaccines on the scene. Sure. I mean, and of course, you're not going to get mandated shutdowns. You, you just may get changes in behavior that reflect a period of time in which you did have more dramatic shutdowns. But you're not going to get that. Jimmy, thank you for coming on. We appreciate it, as always. Liz Young, leave me with Thanks, a thought gentlemen. from what thank you've heard before I get to some trader moves. Yeah, I mean, I just want to circle back to what Jim just said. And you're right, we're not going to get mandated shutdowns. But the thing is, the data is going to get worse before it gets better because economic data lags. So what we're going through right now, we're going to see data about in September. And for every data point in the economy that we see a beat, there's also one that misses. So there's a little bit of confusion in the market right now. Which direction do we go? I think ultimately we do end the year higher than we are today. And I'll still continue to say that, but it's going to be tough for a while. And that's okay. These are good opportunities. And that reopening trade that's taking a real beating is a good entry point right now. Okay. Let, let's talk about China for a second in, in the context of Chinese stocks and ADRs, things like that. Um, Dr. J, you bought puts in Didi, um, and you're in and mm -hmm. out of puts in Alibaba. So take me through that, because Weiss yep. plays right into this, too. I want him to hear you on this, and then we'll go to him for his reaction and his own moves. But tell me about this. Sure. Well, thank you, Scott. Um, yeah, we've had uh, a number of put buyers in uh, our unusual activity scans, as well as uh, sentiment scans. And hats off to Stephen. I said it in my note to you guys that Stephen would, was dead on about his calls on the short uh, for these Chinese stocks and just continue to smash those shorts. So again, Stephen, congratulations. I'm doing the reverse Farmer Jim here. And um, I, bought, I bought those Baba calls, uh, puts rather, Scott, um, two days ago. Um, the stock's down another $10 today, and I exited that because, you know, it's just these calls expire or puts rather expire tomorrow. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to wait for another leg down. As far as Didi, I am holding those because those are September uh, puts, and that stock just can't get out of, out of its own way either. But KWeb, FXI, I talked about Asher, ASHR as well for put activity. These stocks are just being smashed by the Chinese government's own hand, just as Liz said. Yeah, KWeb's down 4% as we, uh, we look at it now, these Chinese Internet names. All right, so Weiss, you covered your shorts in Alibaba and you covered Pinduoduo. So tell me now about this relative to what Doc just said. Yeah. So yesterday morning, I, I, I was watching the stocks very closely, and I've been mostly in these shorts, but in and out of these shorts. And I just thought that that they were ready to lift and that the lift from others that either followed me into the shorts or that are short themselves or people that still misguidedly think that there's value here when there is zero value, that they were ready to buy the stocks. It turned out I was right, but for half a second, because they did move up high in the afternoon. So I was glad I covered. Then I walk in and, you know, this morning and and of course, the China can't with some more news. And they traded down dramatically. So I didn't get to cover all my Billy short. I actually added to it this morning earlier. And I also put a small Baba short back on. These are not lifting. 
the news is going to keep coming. The Chinese government made it very, very clear. We don't like capitalism. We're going to crush these stocks. We see a major problem here, and that major problem here is putting wealth into the hands of a few. Right. So they're all under state regulation, and you just don't own anything with the VIEs. Okay. Period. End of story. All right. Part Let's of make China that the story. thinks they're illegal. Let's make that the end of the story, because i got to go. i got to oh, take a break. Go Robin forever. Hood, Robinhood shares, they're falling after the investment app warmed of a slowdown in trading activity. What the street is saying today about the earnings yesterday, what our investment committee is doing today with their positions as well. We'll do that next on The Half. And as a reminder, you can always watch or listen to us live on the go on the CNBC app. We'll be right back. Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one, which means we do the little things right so that we can keep our promises and you can keep yours too. That's what drives us. To learn how OD can help your business keep its promises, visit odfl.com. Old Dominion, helping the world keep promises. B2B selling is tougher than ever, and we feel your pain. If you're struggling to close deals, consider giving LinkedIn Sales Navigator a shot. This sales intelligence platform helps professionals like you engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator also guides you in targeting the right buyers, highlights key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and uncovers hidden hot prospects so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash halftime report. That is linkedin.com slash halftime report for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash halftime report and get started. Welcome back. I'm Rahel Solomon, and here is our CNBC News update at this hour. Here the U.S. Capitol, law enforcement officials say that they are negotiating with a suspect who claims to have a propane tank rigged as a bomb in his pickup truck. The Supreme Court, Library of Congress, and a House office building remain evacuated. Police say the suspect is a white male from North Carolina. They don't know his motive, but they say he is making anti-government statements. In California, the Calder fire is now more than 10 times as big as it was on Tuesday. The wildfire east of Sacramento has now burned over 65,000 acres and is 0% contained. Over 23,000 people have been evacuated because of the fire. And on the news, droughts in California helping fires and also raising demand for old school water witches who can find wells with traditional methods. Learn more about their growing business tonight at 7 Eastern. American Airlines is extending its ban on alcohol sales in the main cabin until January 18th. That move follows a similar extension of a federal mask mandate for airplanes and public transportation. Also comes amid concerns about a surge in unruly passengers on planes. And separately, the FAA has proposed more than $530,000 in fines against 34 airline passengers for unruly behavior. New penalties double the amount of fines that the FAA has proposed so far this year. Scott, it's a growing issue. Yes, I'll it, back yes to you. it is. All right, Rahel, thank you, Rahel Solomon. All right, shares of Robinhood, they're sinking on the back of earnings comments from the company as well. Kate Rooney is looking at what comments the street has today. Hey, Kate. Hey, Scott. Wall Street today is really focused on that slowdown in retail trading activity. 
that Robinhood has warned about and reiterated in yesterday's report, as well as that unpredictability of Robinhood's booming crypto business. Revenue more than doubling in the quarter for Robinhood. It did report a loss that goes back to that big debt raise back in January. Crypto, though, really stealing the show for the quarter. I talked to CFO Jason Warnick after those numbers crossed. He says crypto in the quarter, quote, showed up in a way that they have not seen before. It drove that higher revenue number as investors moved from stocks to digital currencies. Equity trading was basically flat from a year ago. And for the first time, more new Robinhood customers bought crypto instead of stocks. Crypto made up more than half of that key transaction-based revenue. About 62% of that, though, came from Dogecoin trades alone. Wolf Research out with a note on the quarter that really summarizes what I'm hearing from other analysts today. They say that softer guidance for the third quarter is really dominating the narrative around the stock today. And they say, yes, crypto growth, as they put it, is nothing short of remarkable. But the outsized contribution from Dogecoin simply cannot be ignored. The Q3 slowdown, as they say, could be much more acute than what investors were anticipating. Scott, back to you. All right, Kate Rooney, appreciate that. So, Dr. J, what do you do with your position here that you had? I mean, you, you at least told us you had one. What's up with it now? Yep, I did. I had to exit it, Scott. Um, so what I did, as you know, I sold the straddle um, uh, about 10 days ago or two weeks ago, uh, and I bought the 55-75 spread in September. Took a lot of money out of that straddle as the vol came down. Um, and I was into that call spread for $3, as you probably recall. Um, that call spread fell to that same $3 yesterday from about six and a half, seven dollars $7 a couple weeks ago. So I'd taken some profits, exited the rest yesterday. And today, you know, the stock's $45. So uh, it's not like I've given up on the stock, Scott, but I gave up on that spread because it was just too far out of the money. I think a lot of the most recent turn in crypto, which has happened just in the last two weeks mm-hmm. and is not part of uh, this report, I think a lot of that will drive uh, volumes. And as you've already heard, uh, the consumers or customers there, 21 million of them active, um, a lot of them trading crypto, 60 some odd percent of their revenue coming from that. I think that's going to be much bigger in the coming months because of this big turn crypto's made from Bitcoin under 30,000 to now back over 45,000. Josh Brown, I mean, this is always one of the most searched names on CNBC.com, especially when there's news around it. There's obviously high interest. So what do you tell people who are witnessing a pretty large decline in a name like this? Well, Steve Weiss and I were both on the show the day they came public, and we both said something that at the time sounded controversial, but I think last night's earnings report um, validates what we were saying, which is that basically this is a platform for gambling. And it's not an insult. Gambling's fun, okay, dude? Like, it's all good. But if you're telling me that, like, a quarter of the money they made came from Dogecoin, then let's not say that this is an investing platform. It may someday turn into one, but those $22 million uh, accounts that John cites, the average balance is $4,000. What are we talking about? What are we, like, literally, what are we talking about? I think the analysts who cover Robinhood should be the same analysts who cover DraftKings uh, as opposed to the other brokerage stocks. So I don't have a, look, I don't want the company to not do well. I do want their investors to do well. I do want their users to do well. Um, but, like, if you're putting your money into this as an investment, 
then you're investing in speculate the speculation of others. And there's nothing you – you can make a lot of money doing that. It's just not what I personally want to do. So I don't think it was a bad quarter. I just think let's be honest with where the money they're making is coming from. Yeah, no, I hear you. All right, oil is falling for a sixth straight day. There are bullish calls today on three big oil stocks. We'll debate them next in our call of the day. Of 65 firms that disclose relevant upper management data, those with more diverse teams delivered greater one- to five-year returns in 84% of cases, according to Sustainalytics. The tech sector had both the highest average percentage of minorities in upper management and delivered an average five-year return of 17%, higher than any other sector. That would include companies like Alphabet, eBay, and Cisco, all outperforming this year. That's your ESG Fast Fact of the Day. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. EdwardJones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. All right, take a look at oil falling to its lowest level since May. Bank of America, though, says Exxon, Conoco and Marathon Petroleum are the top ideas in that space. Dr. J, that brings me to you because you own calls in Exxon and Marathon Petroleum. Yeah, and uh, despite what I said about uh, the price of crude oil earlier in the day today, Scott, I do think that domestic production um, is going to be picking up in these coming months. So I'm comfortable holding on to both these. I certainly enjoyed the upgrade uh, reading through that analyst's note, and I will hold on to both of these positions. And what about Best Buy? You also have calls there, right? Reiterated a buy yep. today at Bank think, of America. I'm sorry, Doc, um, I should finish. The, the mm-hmm. target goes to 145. No, no. So what do you think? Forgive mm-hmm. me. No, I think it uh, continues to work, Scott. Um, you know, most, of them, most folks, when they're going on a Google search for best prices, will find themselves dropping frequently over to Best Buy, um, also over to Amazon, of course. And not surprising, Best Buy's digital platform has really been growing like a weed during the pandemic. I don't think that slows down at all. And even though the stores have reopened, many of which were shut because of looting and things last summer, as well as the pandemic, are now contributing greater and greater uh, revenue to the bottom line. And I think the stock continues to be a hold here. Macy's ripping today. Kohl's, they up the outlook as well. Liz Young, what's the retail takeaway from a week in which you've gotten a lot of very big and widely held names? I think the retail takeaway is that there still continues to be opportunity there. And look, sentiment is a fickle thing, and it really depends on the day that we take those surveys. So although some of the sentiment readings have been tough, I think that they turn around pretty quickly. People are still eager to get back out there. They're eager to buy things that include getting back out there, like new clothes, getting into that apparel business again. I think retail is fine. Okay. Dr. J has unusual activity. That is next. And before the break, take a check on the S&P sectors today. Markets have been all over the map. 
We will look at the sectors before we take that break. I think there we go. No. Well, there's the, the S&P. We don't have the sectors. We're back after this. All right, time for unusual activity. Dr. J, what do you got? Well, I've got two of them that expire next week, Scott. August 27th, next Friday, week from tomorrow. First one, Jets, J-E-T-S. And the reason here, of course, is they've already declined. This uh, ETF that tracks airlines has already declined by about 10% in the last week. Ouch. Um, And they're betting that it goes further. The stock uh, was 21 and change. They're buying the 21 puts, Scott, that expire next week. I bought these puts. We all talked about it top of the show. Uh, They've got a lot of challenges going forward, the airlines do. Uh, Second one, skills, S-K-L-Z. This one is bullish call buying, not puts, but calls. Upside call buying stocks, about $10.50. They're buying the August 11 calls. Um, I bought uh, the 10 calls, Scott, and hope to sell higher calls if we get a little bit of a pop out of skills. It's off some 70% from recent highs. I think they're betting that perhaps into next week's expiration, we see a rise. I'm willing to ride along with both these trades for about five days. All right. Good stuff. We appreciate that, Doc. We'll be right back with questions and answers. Our investment committee is ready. Send them in. The video one, we'll play them on the air. We've got at least one today. All right, let's do it. Let's answer some of your questions now. First up, Josh Brown, we have a video question for you. Hi, my name is Trey from Minnesota. My question is for Josh Brown. A few months ago, you mentioned that you would buy Zillow under $100, and now we are there. Are you looking at taking a position anytime soon? Thanks. All right. Appreciate the question. What's the answer, Josh? That's a great question. I remember saying that. I didn't think it would get below 100 in the way in which it did. This stock is now in a 55% drawdown. It's really astonishing. Uh, how fast it's come down. The only name that looks worse is Open Door, down 60-something percent in the space. It's not cheap, but I do think it's viable here. However, technically, it looks like a falling knife. So if you really want to be in it, and there's nothing in the chart suggesting that this sell-off is over, I would maybe buy a third and then hold back the other two-thirds for lower prices. If you don't get those lower prices, at least you have some. But if it continues to drop this way, you have some more firepower. Zillow is a $24 billion market cap. They'll do $5.5 billion this year. I do think they have one of the best brands in the entire United States real estate market. And ultimately, the home buying they're doing, plus the mortgage uh, lending that they're now doing, those things will add up to a much bigger part of the business, and the stock will eventually work. I'm not in it yet but I might at some point soon. All right, Liz Young, for you from Adam in Ontario, the ETF, the IEMG, has a large component of China stocks. Given uncertainty in China companies, is it time to dump it or ride it out? What do you think? 
So, Adam, the reason it has a large percentage of Chinese stocks is because it tracks the MSCI EM index, which has 35% in China. Actually, the top three countries in the EM index make up more than 60%. So what I don't want to do is tell you to sell into a downturn that's already about 45 days old. I think there's probably a little bit of a recovery that you can get there. Once you get that recovery, though, find an ETF that spreads out the country weights a little bit more evenly. All right. Steve Weiss to you from Wayne in New Jersey. About Porsche, on your advice, not really doing anything currently. Is this a long play for future electric vehicles? Stocks down about 6% in three months. What do you tell them now, Weiss? Look, I, I love the story. I mean, Porsche, Volkswagen. Porsche owns 53% of Volkswagen vote, voting stock, so it's the same, uh, essentially. But for Volkswagen which translates to Porsche, as I said, 3% volatility day-to-day is way too much for a company at seven times earnings. I love this as a long-term play. I think it's going to continue. I think it will do very well. It's up from where we went into it. I like it. I'd buy more. And as a matter of fact, the arbitrage spread between Porsche and Volkswagen is at a very wide level. Historically, it trades to a one-to-one correlation. So if anything, I'd buy more Porsche here. All right. Lastly, Dr. J, uh, David Florida, I own some shares of Farfetch. Mm-hmm. I've been buying dips here and there for about a year and have a good cost on the majority of my position with the recent pullback. Is this a good time to buy more or should I take some profits? Um, I would hold. um, But if you have to be binary, buy or sell, I would buy. The stock is up from seven dollars at that pandemic low, Scott. It hit seventy dollars this year and now it's back down to about thirty eight. I think it's a good buy here. Luxury sells. And this one's been building that brand out there. So, yeah, I would buy if it's a binary choice. All right. Good stuff. Appreciate the questions as well. Thank you very much for sending those in. We'll step away. We'll come back with Final Trades next. Got a question for the Halftime Investment Committee? If you want to send us a video, we could play it on air. Email us. AskHalftime at CNBC.com. All right, let's do final trades. Dr. J, I understand you've been doing a little buying of something you want to tell us about. Yeah, just today, Scott, Tapestry, TPR. Why? Well, they beat top line. Uh, they beat bottom line. They gave great guidance, and the stock's down 3% today to 40 bucks a share. Somebody steps in, buys a lot of calls for next week. I mean, look at these numbers, Scott. It used to be known as Coach. Mm -hmm. It was up 125% in revenue for Coach. Stuart Weissman sales up 145%. Um, Kate Spade up over 100%. I think this is an overreaction to I don't know what. Uh, So I'm saying this is a buy here. I'm going to hold on through next week. Good stuff. Thanks for updating us there, Doc. Liz Young. Thank you. Dividend payers and not just high yielders, the ones that are high quality and show consistent raises over time. Okay, Josh Brown. Bristol Myers uh, flirting with a new 52-week high, going higher. Okay, and Steve Weiss. GXO, analysts keep coming out. They don't understand it, but they put buys on it. This stock is the only stock like this trading in the market. Logistics company goes much higher. Thank you, guys. The exchange is now. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. You seek the key, but first, you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range, 
and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today.